I mean, look, I love Janet. I think she had some great moments. You know, I love the video with Michael and, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, she's got great cleavage. I think she looks hot, uh, you know, but in terms of talent and dance, I mean, I'm sorry. I think Michael is just like the most. <laughs> How's the weather in Berlin? Uh, today was chilly, but the last two days it was like 13 and sunny. It was amazing. Um, I'm jealous. Wish you were here. The weather has been actually really, really nice. But the thing is, though, it's, it's starting to get like a little bit cold and starting to get a little bit gray again. So people are turning back into zombies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Today was freezing. I got an earache. Uh, you got okay. an earache? Maybe it's the altitude. What floor are you on? <laughs> <laughs> Second. Maybe it's all the techno blasting coming from upstairs. Don't get me started. <laughs> I, I hope he finds my podcast. <laughs> this richie rich twink. I hope he finds some peace in his life. <laughs> I mean, but speaking of which, I have to tell you, Pshemek, like, basically, I don't know what it's like in uh, New York, Amir, but the thing is, um, my friend also recently just got a fine for 4,000 euros because they... Yeah, I'm not joking. What? So, so base, they, you know, there, there are the restrictions on how many people can gather in a room at one time, and the neighbors called the cops because they heard more than like th- four people in of the course. apartment. So, uh, the the owner of the apartment got a four thousand euro fine, and every single person that was in the apartment at this very small dinner got two thousand euro fine uh, yes it, they're actually enforcing it so i i don't know what the protocol is but i don't know is that is that happening in new york i feel like technically yes it's uh it's a law but uh we're not as trigger happy i feel like as the germans are There's some stasi stuff going on here <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, it's such a funny duality in Germany, I feel like, because on the one hand, there's the, you know, the, the war related trauma of snitching mm. and surveillance state, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, it's just such a, it's such a f- embedded feature in, you know, the German being that I feel like it never really went away. Yeah, totally. I mean, I you can really see that. I mean, obviously, Berlin is like, you know, full of like trolls and like all those kind of people. They're always like butting into your business, like, don't do that, like 999. Yeah. And all they say is the word nine all the time. I mean, you know how yeah. it goes here. So I don't think that really left at all. Yup. <laughs> um, so we're, we're preaching to the converted here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't want to. This, this is an echo chamber. Yeah, I'm sure some Germans will tune in. And I'm sure they're listening right now. <laughs> Your neighbor. Yeah. It's a echo comma, if that's oh my God. the word. <laughs> okay, so I didn't introduce our guest. This is our first ever guest on Thoughts on Art. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. I tune in every week. I think it's my, it's my favorite podcast. Whenever you have new podcasts, I listen to them all the time immediately. So it's really a big pleasure to be here. Aww. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Thank you for being Thank here. You. Thank you for being a stan. <laughs> um, so we have Krista Hewn Jude D'Angelo. Almost. It's okay. 
Krista Juhyun Dantrela, whatever it is. You're not the first person. And I reversed. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. Once again, a white male botches pronunciation. Thanks, Prevang. Okay. Again, can you say it again? Krista Juhyun D'Angelo. Krista Juhyun Whatever, it doesn't matter. D'Angelo. Yeah. But I can't even do Italian pronunciations. Whatever, Amir was there last year when matter. I was in Italy with him. <laughs> I want to talk to you about your Italian trip. Can you just like go back a little bit and like talk to us oh, about? Well, uh, can you just talk to me about that photo of a, what was that Joker or someone said like some twink and the on the stand? I mean, he was like on his grinder. <laughs> Like what was he doing? Was like cruising? What? Who? What was it? There was you had a picture of some like guy in Venice. He had some like horrible costume on. He looked like going to some Venetian used towel oh. party. What the fuck was that? No, that I was, think you're. I think you're talking about the Swiss guard. The and Swiss guard. What was that? The guy looked you. I mean, he was like in a cruising zone. No. I mean, he looked model esque. Yeah, totally. Well, so do a lot of people in the cruise. <laughs> You know, it's true. I mean, you know, <laughs> I see what's going on on Grindr on the profiles. They all look model-esque, of course. Not here. <laughs> yeah, well, here's, well, we, more, don't, we don't need to, they're not into grooming like, here. More like a rung out schmata. <laughs> uh, wait, Krista, can, can, you, uh, can you tell us a, a thing or two about yourself, uh, both for the listeners and for me who doesn't know you very well? Yeah, so, um, oh, God, I don't want to get into the whole thing. But, okay, so I'm an artist. I'm from New York, and I've been living in Berlin for about 12 years, and I do a lot of different artworks. I I know you guys have talked about it before. I do time-based work, and I, I'm very serious about that. I mean, you know. It's, okay, but you, you do legitimate video that's, like, well-produced. It's, it's, I... I do a lot of production on it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not a joke. And I, I it's very, uh, I put a lot of time into it. So I do a lot of um, different artworks, like neon sculptures, video installations. And I obviously work a lot with uh, sensitive topics like um, race, um, sexuality, um, women of color topics, and uh, class issues. So that's like a big part of my practice. And I kind of do a little bit of everything. And some of it's really funny and some of it's very serious. So... Yeah, and I, I work a lot with, I mean, time, I guess you can say, without sounding completely pretentious, you know. So that's a little <laughs> bit about me. And I went to school in Poland, so that's how Przemek and I oh, yes. connect. Yeah, uh, Krista was in Poland for one year and speaks... Three years. Oh, okay, I thought it was one year, but still, she speaks Polish, which is shocking. Yeah, it's pretty. It's okay. I mean, I forget a lot. And so we have a lot of Polish listeners. I don't know if you know that, but can you talk? just... Talk? Talk, Mama. Yeah. Oh my can god. Can you can you can you say something to our Polish listeners? No, 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 no. Say something. She she was like sending me audio messages today in Polish. Um, jestem bardzo zadowolona. Um, tak, dziękuję bardzo. Jestem bardzo zadowolona. Tak, i yeah. I, I, I get a little bit shy when I speak Polish. No, no, but, but was there's this a, just a, re- a record? <laughs> was this a recom- Was this a recommendation for an Umberto Eco book? Did I hear that right? <laughs> um but she i always tell i always tell my dad about krista i'm like she she always she says my favorite kind of like kind of like expression of surprise (laughs) what do you always say fuck yeah yeah. what the fuck 
Yeah, say it. What? Yeah? Yeah. Zaibista. No, no. Ya pirdola. Ya pirdola. Of yeah, course. My dad loves that. I'm like, and my friend Krista, she's always saying, ya pirdola. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's what everybody, I mean, when I first went to Poland, like many years ago, you know, it was a little, you know, it was very challenging because I was never, you know, I never traveled before outside of the US, uh, not really. And uh, Poland was obviously quite homogenous compared yeah. to New York City. So, yeah. you know, I learned all the curse words first in order to kind of be aware what was going on around me. You know what I mean? But I had a great time and it was a beautiful... Uh, I was in Krakow for three years when I graduated. And I, I, I really loved being there. I mean, I, I, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on there right now. I mean, we, we all know this, but um, it was nice to be there. And I'm really happy I was there for, for my uh, formative um years as a college student mm-hmm. <laughs> and just to ask you off the bat if you had to list uh let's say the the upsides and the downsides uh kind of for the perspective of a uh, expat who's lived in berlin now for almost 12 years you said hmm. what are some what are some of those upsides and downsides to uh being an artist in in berlin well, the weather sucks. I mean, we all know this. It's shit. I, you know, the thing is, though, it's like gray all the time. You don't, you know, get a lot of inspiration in terms of like weather. But I have to say I work very well now in terms of um, adapting to the darkness. So I think that's why I ended up doing video because it's so dark. And I was like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to do this because I want to explore it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, you meet the same people all the time in Berlin. I mean, for the most part. And um, it's a big you know, it's a small city. It's very provincial in a way, but I can say, you know, the German bedside manner could use a chain, could use an, a, a facelift every now and then. I mean, we all know that. I mean, let's not get, you know, beat around the bush. But um, yeah, I mean, I get a lot of, su- I've gotten a lot of support over the last few years. I mean, I do like the fact that Germany has a lot of um, support for artists that are doing very political work, doing work that's not super commercial, um, because that's where I wanted to kind of spend a lot of my practice doing more works that were, you know, very discursive. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if I would get that in New York. But um, yeah, I mean, there, it's it's up and down all the time. I mean, it's super cheap still in compared to Compared to New York, Paris, or London, I think that there's still, you know, there's still support for for visual artists, and um, the government does try to do their best to right. to facilitate that. I mean, you can also see during the whole COVID situation last year. I mean, they did give out you know financial support for freelancers, and I don't think that happened in the U.S. at all. Where they got like a check for a thousand dollars, it's like a thousand dollars in New York is like basically lunch for like two weeks, or not even like a week. You know, so we, I yeah. we should link to that uh Shemek, you remember that Grubhub related expose about the <laughs> Lower East Side resident who spent, oh spends like two thousand dollars a month on seamless. Oh. Wait, I do not remember that story. <laughs> um that's interesting. Well I, I forwarded this link of a Bloomberg uh, article from earlier this week to Pshemek, and I don't know if you read that as well, but it was sort of covering that uh legislative change that took place in uh in berlin in uh i guess middle of uh mid 2019 with the uh, freezing of rents across not across the board but in the uh in any rentals that uh, predated 2014 uh and so now after a year and a half that this policy has been in place they sort of saw kind of who's been the beneficiary and who's uh, suffered from it and they saw that Whereas people who were lucky enough to stay in those, uh, I don't know if this counts as Altbau, but everyone who had a uh, 
you know, a, a lease in a, a pre-2014 apartment, got to benefit from it. And in the meantime, anyone who's looking to rent an apartment, any sort of new construction is rent is through the roof. Um, and this uh, survey also said that it, basically the constitutional court in Berlin at some point is probably going to deem this leg- leg- legislative act uh, unlawful. And overnight, essentially, they're expecting sort of um, the rent freeze to kind of you know, be dissipated and then skyrocket all of a sudden. I guess this very long <laughs> introduction is leading me to ask you uh, where you live in the city, what it's been like for you in terms of, you know, trying to sustain a career as an artist and also make ends meet and, mm. you know, pay rent, etc. Yeah, I mean, I live um, I live in Tempelhof, so next to uh, Tempelhofefeld, you know, the big park. And um, I have a very particular situation with uh, my apartment because I got it through an art collector. And uh, but I still I pay rent, and you know, rent needs to be paid, um, among other mm-hmm. bills. So um, yeah, I I think over the last few years, you know, I don't earn that much, but I was able the last couple of years to sustain a. Um, Um, a career and also pay my bills on time although it's a struggle every month but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah I do think that the last year in particular because of all of the uh, challenges that happen to artists and freelancers in Germany in particular in Berlin because that's where most of the artists are based in Germany I do feel that there was a lot of people from the political side and from the infrastructure, from the government that tried to, and the federal government that is, that tried to um, facilitate in helping uh, artists maintain uh, their lifestyle by paying their bills, you know, at the very minimum. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the last couple of years have been kind of fruitful for me in terms of work and in terms of acquisitions, you know, but uh, before that, it was always a struggle. And, you know, Berlin is not getting any cheaper. We all know this. Rents are, you know, exorbitant at the moment. They are probably going to keep rising. And, um, yeah, so every day it's like kind of I just try to maintain my uh, my but my daily budgets and trying to oversee you know how projects will be funded in the future. So you know, as I said, I do video works and those are not cheap to make. So I do my best to kind of maintain a long term plan in terms of funding my, uh, my my artworks in terms of the videos and the productions. Right. <clears throat> Would you say there's been a? Could you name maybe a? a single opportunity that you would consider sort of a great leap forward that was afforded to you, uh, specifically, you know, in the Berlin context, maybe to, you know, give some advice to locals mm-hmm. who are tuning in? Well, um, I did an artwork a couple of years ago, I think that kind of really went around and it was something that was very important to me. Um, that I think was affecting my life. And, you know, first of all, I'll sh- I should say, like, all of the artworks I do, in particular the video works, they always start with my experience, but it's not about me. It's about something much bigger. So I did a work about racism in Germany. It was a video work. And, um, you know, I made it very cheaply. I just kind of, you know, interviewed different um, people that were activists and Germans of color. Some of them didn't have an academic background. Some of them were just kind of you know, regular students, just people that were, you know, I was interested in talking to who kind of were affiliated with particular communities in Germany. So I did this artwork called Past, Present Tense, and um, it really got around and it was 
the way that I could kind of express myself in a, um, and talk about things that were really delicate, things that were very serious. And so I kind of was just, you know, being confronted with a lot of things in my life at the time in 2015 when I made the artwork. So I wanted to obviously try to deal with that in an artwork. And I think the best advice I can give for artists or young artists is no, never do artwork to make money. And I know that sounds really like naive. And I, I mean, <laughs> I went through hell, you know, I really went through hell and struggled a lot. But I think, you know, you just have to really hustle and do whatever you can to make as, you know, to do whatever you need to do, I think, in terms of having a day job and just do the work that you're very honest and very sincere about because, you know, you're going to have to maintain an artistic practice and a career, so you have to be really honest in how you approach what you do and what you're interested in. And I think you have to be fair to the audience because the audience also wants to see a very full spectrum of ideas and experiences. So, you know, I think honesty is very important for artists and how they yes. talk about and how they, you know, develop artworks. Right, yeah. And I think even if... Even if um, you're working kind of in a practice where, okay, there are more easily sellable things than video, for example, still you can't always count on that because nothing is continuously going up. You know, careers ebb and flow and people, maybe they're selling at one point and then not selling at all later and it goes up and down. And I think that's important that you just stick to what you're doing um, and also not getting discouraged if there's roadblocks coming up. Like some artists I've known it's like oh they didn't get grants they applied for so they don't mm -hmm. do the project that they wanted to do mm -hmm. but you can always figure out some way to kind of go through with the vision you had or the idea you had even if you know like you didn't get money you applied for or something yeah don't get me wrong I mean I used to apply for so many things and of course I got so many rejection letters like letter after letter month after month I had a lot of deferrals and it's just a part of the whole process unfortunately but you learn a lot from the rejections and I think there's so much to be said from you know a long-term plan I mean you're gonna get rejections let's just face it it just happens it's just how it is and I used to cry all the time and of course having some financial support to fund a project is is the best thing anybody can ask for because it, it obviously alleviates a lot of stress. But, um, you know, I do think, as Shemek said, I think it's important to um, don't adapt to market trends. And we all know that things go up and down all the time. It's like hashtags, unfortunately, go, you know, one day they're one thing and the next day nobody remembers them. So it's, you know, it kind of operates in that way. So I think it's really important in, in terms of maintaining um, integrity in what you do and what your interest generally really honestly interested in. And you should never adapt, I think, to a market or to trends, even though I think there's pressure to do that. I don't think that's a priority, and I think the artists need to maintain like general honesty and how they and what they're producing and what they're interested in. So I know it's hard to do, but I think it's very uh, critical for an artist's um, curiosity and their growth. Um, would you say that there's trends that are sort of prevalent currently in Germany that are not in the states, or maybe um, are you able to identify sort of trends? that exist on a homogenized level in both the U.S. and Europe, sort of things that you see all across the board? Shemek, you want to talk about that? <laughs> uh, wispy, sad painting <laughs> of the figure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that, yes. 
Um, yeah, well, I hate to say this. We all know that's true. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to say it. Um, yeah, I see a lot of very upper middle class white men who are doing artworks about um, biology and science, which for me I'm, is incredibly problematic. That, interesting. Elaborate, yes. please. Well, in my opinion, I mean, of course, I'm a huge fan of science. Many people don't know this. I actually wanted to be a biologist, but of course I didn't. Yeah, I wanted to be a scientist. We need more women in STEM. Yeah, I wanted to go all the way, but whatever. I didn't. Queen. I didn't. You know, I didn't pursue that that path for myself. But, but there's something to be said about I think um, white male upper middle class artists that are talking about the body and who are talking about uh, the environment when they themselves will never be affected by circumstances that will marginalize them, and it becomes this othering us and them yeah. kind of experience. And who's benefiting off of that? Especially when you're German nobility. Especially when you're German <laughs> or you're fr- German nobility, or you're coming from a position in the society where everybody knows that this is true, but they cannot say it. And I think this is something that needs to be addressed quite seriously. And also, I think artistically, the audience also needs to be aware of the position of the artist, because the audience should have a fair overview of what they're of what they're looking at and experiencing. And if they're experiencing a very one-dimensional way of looking at the world in terms of environment, I think it's critical that those subjects that are serious, I mean, the environment's a serious topic, it's not sustainable at the moment. I think it's important that the audience, you know, understand that the position of the artist who's talking about this and this um, is coming from a very privileged position. And I think there needs to be a lot of transparency in that. I mean, for years, um, activism has been sort of an armchair activity. Um, it's kind of hard to make that transition or to make that leap. I feel like um, as long as that sort of faux sense of activism exists in a commercial realm, it's uh, kind of struggling to uh, to define this thought. But I mean, I get what you're saying. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I feel like this armchair activism that you see among the privileged artists is just uh, sort of goes hand in hand with the fact that this uh, this field is propelled by money to begin with. And so mm. there's not a lot of sort of room for shaking the boat or for anything that, you know, would potentially shoot yourself in the leg and cut off the stream of revenue. Mm. Um, another question for you. So you attended the summer program in uh, Cooper Union. Is that right? When you were yeah, 14? for many, for a long time. Yeah. And the high Saturday programs when I was in high school since I was 14. Yeah. And I'm very sad that the school, unfortunately, that program that I was in closed. And I'm very disappointed with that. It gave me a lot of opportunities. And I'm very disappointed that the school is, um, you know, uh, not f- no longer tuition free. Didn't they roll it back? I I kind of kept out of the news a little bit because I, I was so frustrated with what was happening, and I think you know more than likely it got lost in the in between the opioid crisis and the whole COVID nineteen. <laughs> like, also, yeah. um, maybe they shouldn't have built that ugly building near Union oh, Square. Oh, <laughs> that that building was just because where the yeah, Shake Shack is. <laughs> um, no, you know that one. It's kind of brown or copperish, and it kind of yeah. is like this rhombozoid kind of. Where is that? It's like fourteenth something. I think it's. Really or am I thinking the, New School? <laughs> I don't know. Oh yeah, on Fourteenth Street, I'm like seventh yeah. or something. Uh. Um, yeah. 
Uh, do you yeah. still have you have any friends who uh, went to art school here in the states? Sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, I still am in touch with. I mean, you know, that was a fantastic. It was a great program. It was a very rewarding and challenging program. And I think there were some amazing um, design. Oh, yeah, that pro. <laughs> Oh my god! Sorry, I just I just showed her the photo. Yeah, the... I know that building. It's pretty hideous, but whatever. I think it's there's dorms in there. Um, <laughs> I I kept in touch with um, a few people, but I know people in my program, like Leah Satera and uh, Francesca DiMario was also my TA, and uh, I met some amazing people. Um, you know, at at a time when I was really young, and you know, they kind of put me in a good direction. I was also a student of Len Yamamoto. And, you know, we, we had a really great time. I mean, it was an important time as a, you know, I was 14 years old. And I think that um, definitely, you know, they challenged us and they kind of broke us down. And I think that was a very critical part of my education as a young, um, you know, art student. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you, if you had to give one piece of advice or sort of your outsider's perspective, um, what advice would you give someone at the age of, you know, 18, 19, 20, who's entering this system with obviously the hopes or the expectation to make a career out of it, uh, coming out of it. Things take time and have patience and you should never, ever like bend the knee to trends. That's my advice. Never bend the knee. I mean, are you are you referring specifically to North America, uh, North American students, or is that? I think in general. I think in general, you know, I think a lot of. St- I mean, at least for me, when I got out of school, I had, was a, like a walking anxiety attack. You know, and how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? I want to do this, and you know, things take time. I mean, you don't know. You, nobody knows themselves as an eighteen-year-old or twenty-one-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, person, I mean, you're not really an adult, and I think it's important to experience and go through many different trials, and kind of be very optimistic in what you're um, experiencing and doing as a person before you make art about it. You know, and I think art. art you know, I'm not saying that you know artists have to be about their own experience. I think there's many different kinds of artworks that are important for um, the art world. And I, you know, sculpture, paintings, I mean, I'm not like saying that, you know, it has to be all about identity and has to be like critical, but I do think it things take time. And I think patience um, needs to be uh, executed very early on when you graduate and you cannot have expectations immediately. Mm-hmm. Now, for someone who's uh, maybe thinking post-COVID of, uh, you know, moving to Berlin and sort of setting up shop there, maybe starting a career, would you say the local market or the scene are accessible somewhat, uh, penetrable? Is it a, a meritocracy? How would you describe it? I don't know. I mean, I I talk to friends about it and, you know, I only like to, you know, work with people that I really love, that I have a relationship with. I know that sounds a bit naive, but, you know, people that, you know, really I believe in that also believe in me and I don't want to work with someone or develop a professional relationship with someone that's only doing it for money. I mean, that's not really why you want to be an artist. Of course, you have to pay bills and bills need to be paid, but, um, you know, you want to develop a long-term relationship Uh, that's sustainable with people that are your colleagues. And I think it's important to, you know, develop an understanding in 
not just professional relationships, but in personal relationships. You want to go for sustainability and you want to have understanding and you want to have communication and you want to challenge each other. So I think all the people that I've been lucky and happy to meet um, professionally have always kind of, you know, believed in me and stood behind me. And so I think it's important that, you know, when you kind of Whether whether it's Berlin or New York, you always try to be just who you are. You don't try to change yourself for somebody else or for a market right. or for collectors or um, galleries, things like that. You should just be who you are because people appreciate honesty and they appreciate people that are authentic. And I think that's very important. I'm just, uh, I guess I'm wondering if there's any difference in sort of how you get uh, picked up by a... Uh, mid-tier gallery here in the North America versus, you know, how you get picked up or noticed by um, a gallery that could sustain your career substantially in uh, in Germany or in Berlin specifically. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I don't know. Przemek, yeah. what do you think? I think it's probably the same. I think a lot of people just don't put their neck on the line. Like there are some gallerists or curators who really... I don't know, they love something that they see that no one's been engaging with. But for the most part, it, it really just seems like this ladder that artists climb where, you know, like a mid-tier gallery engages with things because it's already successful in the kind of younger gallery circuit or, you know, museum group shows or things like that. So, I don't know, it's, I feel like it's equally hard to break out in a way. But maybe in Berlin it can be easier to get a foothold to start because it's just not as big as New York. Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's a smaller place. It's not as saturated. There aren't as many galleries, even though there are tons, but it, it just feels easier to make those kind of casual connections in a way. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to remember if schools in Germany have something that's uh, equivalent to, you know, the MFA programs here being kind of the place to go for art advisors, curators, museum directors, whatever, to sort of find the new Städelschule. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say Städelschule. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I literally was just going to yeah. say the same. That, that's like the one. And then if you're a Berlin dealer, it's like, oh, we need to go to the UDK. Like, Rundgang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the like, Rundgang. And snatch up some Florian that makes like... Uh, figurative abstract painting with airbrush like is it is it an annual tradition though because you you don't get the sense in germany that there's like a an annual rate of refresh of uh, all these rundgangs happen and then two months later you see the inaugural debut um, show of one of the recent no, graduates i i think with like a, like an alex duva type dealer there is for sure it's like it's like who's who's the hot new graduate like galleries like that right um definitely mm. are kind of plugged into that yeah i think more so here than, than the united states i mean like you know when being in new york city i don't or in america i never went to you know any of the the graduate shows i mean of course i did because i saw my friends but it wasn't like you know like a like a gra like a um a picking up ground for gallery galleries curators i mean i think that really happens a lot in germany and in europe in general and then you see these like really horny people at the rundgang and they're just like i want to see the sexiest new thing i want like the fresh hot you know and we're just going to use them and we're gonna, they're going to end up like a used towel at the end of the day <laughs> mm-hmm. like uh like a berliner on grinder 
basically <laughs> i mean that's that was my analogy you know what i mean it's like you turn into a twink and then like the next you're, you're twink and then the next day you're just like used <laughs> and you're yeah. sitting on shoe lines draws and, like smoking and then crack and then you've started a music career past your prime basically yeah so i i, I mean but, yeah I think that it ha- it happens. I mean, it happens. I think very frequently in in Europe, and I, I don't know why they why there's so much precedence in the Rundgang. I mean, of course, you go there to see your friends and to support them, and you, you know it's good to and you're curious. But yeah. I don't know what this big like rush is. No, but it's like I th- a stampede. I think in New York, I don't think there's like a desperation to like. It's like oh, I need to find the hot new talent at like Pratt or like SVA. It's like. Yale, oh. Yale, and Columbia, and that's it. Mm. Yale and Columbia, yeah, basically yeah. that. Those are the. Uh, those are the. Yeah, that's that, the cruising. That's, that's the cruising that's zone. The cruising, that's the Tiergarten and the Hasenheide. <laughs> I mean, Volkswagen in a sense, Friedrich sign. <laughs> in a sense, I, I feel to like. Say it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we all know it exists. I mean, they all go there, like you know, every all my whatever. I think I've been away for long enough to not even know. <laughs> That's, that's what Kristen and I are going after. Folks, Bart Friedrich sign. I mean, one one difference I could uh, point out is the fact that being the tuition so high here at uh, you know Yale and uh, and Columbia, I feel like there's sort of a commensurate uh, sort of size of s- staffing at these universities, and so there has to be someone doing the PR promoting these artists. There's a whole sort of mm. mechanism to kind of try to mm. propel the careers of these uh soon to be recent graduates uh which is something i can't say for a fact about like udaka for example mm. uh there's no like constant sort of machine churning of social media trying to get all mm. these you know students a foot in the door um that's true i mean as you said like you know i think t- tuition fees play a big part in that i do think that um you know if you go to if you attend an mfa program in columbia or yale i mean you're going to obviously be paying student debt the rest of your two lives or seven lives or you're going to have extremely rich parents you know yeah. so i do think that there's an incentive there to kind of perform and to kind of get everybody out of the mfa program into the market immediately I mean, uh, I can't. I can't say what's more twisted: attending MFA program at Yale, coming not for money, instead of you know residing under the same roof with uh, children of wealth, or attending Udeka like I did, not coming for money and residing under the same roof with children of wealth. No one <laughs> is going to leave graduate with debt. Mm. It's uh, sort of two sides to a, a very odd coin. Mm. I remember when I went to school in uh, the United States because I actually when I I graduated from school in Poland and um, I was really disappointed and very fed up with the amount of garbage coming out of I went to school for one year in MICA at the Maryland Institute College of Art and I was in a class of you know 18 year old students and they all had um, Mercedes and brand new cars recently purchased by their parents and they were making artwork that was you know in my opinion at that time i thought it was very pretentious and i don't think it was you know very down to earth and it was quite removed from what was going on in baltimore which was hardcore oh, yeah. racism i'm sorry and then they're going to school in brand new mercedes benz sorry that's problematic and i said something in the class i said i don't think this is representative of what's going on in reality and then this girl who now apparently allegedly works at whole 
Whole Foods and she's 38 years old, was like, Krista doesn't know what she's talking about with art. She has no, she's so removed. And I said, let's see what you're going to be talking about in a few years because you're going to be doing yoga sessions and going to be working at Starbucks. So I have nothing to say to you. And basically that's what happened. She was a very privileged woman, white woman, you know, AKA Karen. And she, <laughs> it's true. Sorry, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm not Katrin, since we're in Germany. Karen. So she, you know, was criticizing me that I was being, you know, that I did, I, I was basically ruining her romantic idea of being an artist. Um, because I was like, you know, student debt is a serious problem in this country. And when you graduate from school and you're $80,000, $100,000 in debt, how are you going to build an art career from that? I'm sorry. That's impossible. I mean, I think one of the greatest myths of, uh, of this uh, business or industry is that, uh, you know, um, I mean, artists, I feel like it's not that they can't come from sort of uh, poor conditions, but like throughout history... And this is a theme that keeps coming up in our discussions. I mean, you need to have sort of a baseline of uh, of accessibility to not just um, you know engaging in this type of thought and not just you know struggling to survive. I mean, this is not not accessible to to everyone. No, um, mm-hmm. no, it's not. And I am very disappointed in the in the fact that the art world kind of doesn't address that issue, the class issue yeah. in the art world. Yeah, I well, it's not being addressed across the board at all. Mm-hmm. It just gets swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and from I don't want to sound romantic, but you know, for me, artistic work is representative of reality, and reality is not, you know, produced strictly by white upper middle class artists. You should give the audience a wide array of experiences so that they can also deliberate for themselves what their what reality is like and what's going on in the world. And I think that's extremely important and you should respect the audience in the way that you should offer them very different perspectives. And, you know, I want I don't want to say like be impartial. But um, you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and I said to him, I said, you know, I think it's very I'm very happy that, you know, my background is, you know, I did my family was not educated. You know, they're very proletarian. They didn't go to school. They have no idea what I do. But I think I can offer a lot to my audience in terms of talking about things that are very, um, you know, very, uh, that are very, you know, I think related to my background. It's very working class. I think that needs to be said in the art world. You kind of need to have different experiences being exposed and being talked about. And one of them is, unfortunately, is if you engage in the contemporary art world, you should, I think, address the fact that it's a class system. And, you know, there's a huge hierarchy that's very reflective of what's going on in society. And I think it's very important to address that. Yeah. I mean, to to what extent would you say your current standing in your career sort of relies on the generosity of uh, galleries, dealers, um, buyers, etc.? I mean, I guess, I'm, in other words, I'm asking how independent uh, do you feel you are at this moment? I'm never going to be independent. I mean, I think that takes maybe like 10 more years. I mean, I think also when I think about like women artists in the art market, I mean, you know, they usually start peaking in their 40s or 50s. And I'm in my late 30s. And I know that it's going to take me a few more years, maybe 10 years. And right now, I don't have as much anxiety when I go to bed at night and when I wake up in the morning. 
but you know I have a few months where I can be okay. But you know the, as I said, like with, with the video artworks, I do employ people to work with because I do believe that if you have some kind of capital, you should employ people that need it, and you should employ women. I should employ people that don't have opportunities because I also got opportunities at some point, and I think those were very、um, important opportunities to talk about things that were very political and that were marginalized things. So, I do try to, you know, when I do a big video, I try to, you know, always have a very nice、um, small group of people that I work with that also talking about those experiences in their life, whether it was. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases and HIV for women of color, or racism in Germany, or all those kinds of things. I always make sure that the people I work with are,、um, you know, personally engaged in those topics. So right now, I mean, if you're an artist, I think you're always going to be kind of,、um, you know, in a codependent relationship with the、mm-hmm. contemporary art world. I mean, there's no way about it, and I don't think people should、um, try to、um, hide that. But I think it's about having a healthy relationship and just having friendships and really good communication with your colleagues. Because I do have to say, I even though I am very ambivalent about the contemporary art world, I, and I have to operate in it, I do. I have met some really amazing and inspiring people, and people that you know are not afraid to say things. And I think that's so important in any relationship is communication.、Mm-hmm. What is? I, a, oh, yeah,、sorry. go ahead. I was just going to say I met Krista. Jew Hyun D'Angelo in the art world, exactly. <laughs> And Amir Kuberstein. And this was a one hundred percent working class podcast. Yeah, so I love it. Suck it. True. <laughs> I love it.、Um, I have a yes, yes or no question for you.、Um, do you consider yourself a non fungible token? Yes or no. <laughs> No, definitely not. I'm a no. non-fungible thought. <laughs> no, not at all.、Uh, have you have you considered、uh, converting yourself into a non-fungible token? No way. No. <laughs> no, no way. It's not. It's not something for you. No, I don't. I, should we try? I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't think should I can do should, it. Should we switch this stream to Clubhouse? <laughs> Oh、you know, okay. Honestly, I don't even. What is Clubhouse? Wait, I don't know what、okay. it is. People talk. What is it? I have Krista. I'm opening Clubhouse. I don't even、right、know、now. what the fuck that is. Okay, wait. There's Scamvengers, Civil War,、um, CNN Clubhouse. Maybe there's one with Johan Kunig in it right now. Let me see. Most likely, I think he、uh, operates a, on a 24/7. But can someone、now. tell me what Clubhouse actually is? Because I really don't know what it is. Is it well, like? Clubhouse is a、um, is a smartphone app that's basically a social network that's based on、uh, voice and chat, and you can sort of drop in on these panels and conversations that members sort of put、okay. together. And it's just、um, it kind of mushroomed out of control,、oh, and it's unsurprisingly it's sort of. Uh, sort of most of the people who use it are kind of lower rate、mm. prof- professionals in the business, and so there's just a lot of static noise, which、okay. uh, can drive you crazy at times. I I personally just got rid of that app. I mean, there are there are notable people in their field, but the app is so obnoxious. Because,、um, for example, in an hour there will be the This is in German, by the way, but the English translation is the NFT hype,、uh, Kunst revolution, art revolution, or investment bubble. 
Um, and the blind gallerist and podcaster Johan Koenig will be talking about the revolution in the art world. And by the way, that's that's the quote. It says blind gallerist oh in scare quotes. First of all, I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but like, I don't know about you, but I am really sick of webinars. I don't want to. That's I, awful. <laughs> I know. I don't want to go to any more webinars. I'm done with webinars. I mean, you know, I mean, I very seldom go into the webinars and I, I just I can't look at any more digital <laughs> club. I don't even know what clubhouse experiences anymore. I just I can't. It's, it sucks. It I, sounds like a walkie talkie. I mean, I feel like the, there's literally two kinds of people in this world. You can divide the world uh, straight down the middle. There's people who just enjoy a constant sort of yapping like just blathering non-stop like 24 7 and, and there's those who just need some peace and quiet every now and then and those webinars are just uh they're the new sort of opioid addiction people just constantly need to have something running in the background and just this urge to speak and to be heard um Sorry, that, that was my personal rant. Um, Amir, when is the last time you were in a webinar? <laughs> D- define a webinar. I, I don't it's know. like a you know like a virtual space we, of we people. We don't mean Cam Four. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, the only thing I attended over COVID were a couple of uh, uh, not even panels, but just lectures, curator lectures uh, organized by the Jewish Museum. Just oh, because they were cool, they were so niche and interesting. One of them was mm. about the Soutine exhibition they had uh, they had on display a few years back. Mm. It was just fascinating to hear from a professional who put it together. But otherwise, why do I need to tune into something that I can read about it succinctly on mm. either whatever website? I just feel like this sort of audio form mm. uh, fills it with just a lot of unnecessary sort of dead air. Okay, so I'm going to open Tushy Thinks Speaks Wild, Leading and Breaking Taboos. It's a leadership lab. Uh, Leadership lab. Are you going to go in right now? The kind of sub-messages those might give. So specifically, um, and and one of my closest girlfriends works with you at Thinks, and so I'm I'm, I'm very connected to your messaging. I see it it happening real time. And there was one um, earlier Girl, what are you talking about? in the pandemic around it being happy hour and raising a glass to another <laughs> She sounds right? like and, Drew. And this kind of like thing. Drew been show. drinking a lot of wine during COVID. Let's, um, you know, let, let's talk about, let's talk about things. Is and this just, just going to be our podcast from now on? Just us like commenting that, right? on Clubhouse? Um, <laughs> raising a glass is fun messaging in a but she's talking about nothing. I don't even know what she's talking about. Wait, let me hack into the NSA uh, database. I'm sure it's eavesdropping recorded. Okay, it's like it's like happy hour, breast cancer, endocrinology, like. Oh, oh my god, and the worst part is it won't stop. It's still going. I closed the app. Don't just, just go on wait, wait. go on airplane. Okay, mode. leave quietly. I mean to me this talent to uh. speak endlessly with these flawless segues is completely enviable. I wish I had that skill. <laughs> just to talk endlessly about nothing. Ugh, well, Seinfeld. Um Okay, uh, now so I just na- have to- now you know what clubhouse is. <laughs> yeah, now you know what clubhouse. A clubhouse. <laughs> Okay, now I have to take it light for a minute. Um, you were in Winnipeg for residency at MAWA, oh, mentoring artists for women's art. Yes, I love it. 
I, lo- I had a great time. Uh, in my, we talked every day. Yeah, in my home city of Winnipeg, yes. I sent Krista tips. Yes, Krista, what did you think of Tim Hortons? Oh my god, stop! Ah. Okay, I'm not gonna. So okay, so as an American, I never heard. I never knew what Tim Hortons was, but I heard from friends what it was, and I was a little bit obsessed. So when I found when I would when I found out I was going to Canada, I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna be able to go to Tim Hortons. So I had after about a two hour layup at the border control in Canada, which was fairly traumatic. They almost sent me back to Germany. Anyway, I was in a car at Wait, eleven o'clock why? at night because it. I I can't really get into it. It was a long story. The visas. It was the a visa visas. situation because I wasn't there. Yeah. I was there casually, but I was there for a month, and I was also working. And it was it was. Girl, you're, vi- you're visiting Marion Piszczek at the bike shop. i you know it was fairly you know Canadians Americans you know it's. Not never going to be a great relationship anyway so i was at the border and then i had to get somebody to pick me up after about two and a half hours and i okay i will not lie about this i was in a car 11 30 at night like falling asleep and we passed a tim hortons and i nearly freaked out and screamed I was like, and then the first day i get there i go to this gallery everyone's telling me about and the fr- and i met the i met the gallery director and the first thing i said can you tell me where the tim hortons is <laughs> and her face in the gallery and my assistant just wait ex- explain to me the the fascination with tim hortons i i, I didn't spent... know what it was i just wanted I, I sp- to figure it out I, I will say I I spent a <laughs> It's like a really I mean Shamik you want to tell me what it I mean I was going to say we spent I spent a uh, a long weekend with Shamik in Toronto and he took me to Tim Hortons and first of all the roof the roof of my mouth was severely burned by a, by a scalding cup of coffee but I, other than that I was mildly unimpressed by the offering yeah, so I, I really can, wanted to just get into the the contrast between you two and your Tim Hortons experience I mean it's just it registered to me as a, a Canadian 7-Eleven basically basically I didn't Which know is what nothing it was. to write home about. A, a Canadian Dunkin', but way sadder because at least Dunkin's like fun. <laughs> well, Dunkin' has amazing coffee, but like, I would never get coffee yeah. from 7 Eleven. Or um, Dunkin' also has avocado toast now. Oh, God. Yeah, true. I do mean, you, I, I go to, I mean, I'm sorry, do, but do you Tim have that Hortons. in Germany? No. No, Dunkin'? we don't. Wait, we don't. Dunkin' no, avocado Dunkin'. toast? We have we have Dunkin' yeah. but no avocado toast. No, but okay. they got rid of the iced coffees. I'm really oh. pissed. They only have like iced lattes and cold oh, brew whatever. for like three times price. Mm. Oh my god. Okay, but what else did you like in Winnipeg? Um, I'm not gonna lie. Like I never was in. I was in Montreal many years ago, but uh, I had a very good time at Mawa. It was one of my most fruitful times because I edited Protest and Desire, which was about uh, women of color and. Uh, uh, HIV and uh, sexually transmitted infections. So it was a very important work for me, and I did a lot of editing. And I walked around the city, and it was, you know, I saw artworks I've never seen in my life, and things that are very different from Germany or Europe, and also, um, you know, American art. So I was really happy to see a lot of art artworks that were, um, you know, things that I've never seen before. And you know, it was Winnipeg, so it was a very particular city. It was very small, but it was very endearing, and it, there was also a hardcore edge to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went to every. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I went to almost every Tim Hortons. Really okay, there's like wow, four, you're, you're there's like stand. forty now. I went crazy. 
She's still looking for the coffee beans. She's like, does anybody have coffee beans in Berlin from Tim Hortons? There must be some Canadian that does. I mean, I, I, I went a little bit bananas. And so I was, and also my, my really good friend, Martin, Martin Falke also gave me a Tim Hortons shirt for my birthday. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, th- I, I think you definitely deserve some, uh, some oh, yeah. metal or something yeah. from Tim Hortons. Tort. Yeah, I, I forced uh, Amir there for breakfast so he could get indigestion and heartburn. <laughs> um, um, I, I will say nothing that we ate on that weekend was uh, particularly amazing. Yeah, um, sorry, Toronto listeners. <laughs> your, your city sucks. <laughs> oh, did we go to Hooters, Shemek? No, we didn't go to Hooters. We should have oh, gone no, we to had Hooters. Pizza I love cro- Hooters. We had pizza across the street from Hooters. Yeah. Oh. We we went to Cora's, Shea Cora, which that was fun. We had that waitress named Amira. <laughs> um, and we had Amazing. breakfast poutine. And we had really fun pancakes. That was fun. Oh, tasty. It was near the Sky Dome. Oh, wow. <laughs> where, where did I have a steak at a TGI Fridays in Europe? Oh, in Warsaw. You were di- disappointed with the TGI Fridays steak. That was, oh, yeah. We could have either gone to the nice steakhouse or TGI Fridays and we went to TGI I would Fridays. go to TGI Fridays any day. <laughs> I love yeah, my s- meal, though. The steak was a little rubbery. <laughs> yeah. We'll go to uh, butchery and wine next time. Oh. Um, okay. There was something else I was going to ask. Okay, Krista, which case... Which, oh. which case oh. 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 is more intriguing? Oh, my God. The Menendez brothers oh. or oj simpson i mean i'm a, i'm an american i'm sorry but oj simpson is like the world's best and most famous case of all time i'm sorry but that was like the best running tv series of all time let's get fucking real i mean that was like the best thing ever i mean come on uh would you befriend kato I mean, like, wasn't he like, you know, I mean, he was like an all-star kind of, you know, like really good looking, like, you know, witness. I thought he was fantastic. I mean, like, wouldn't you want to be friends with him? Yeah. Did OJ do it? Duh. I mean, obviously. (laughs) And there's no legal liabilities there because in a civil trial, he was found. Guilty. um, Yeah. He was found. uh, What's that word? Uh, Uh... what do you what do you call I it? I have no idea. When you're when you're he did it. You're we like all responsible know he did it. for it in a in a civil trial. I I don't know. So don't sue us, Juice. <laughs> Would you be able to give Pshemek a Marsha Clark type perm while you're there? I mean, I I I I I remember I remember Marsha Clark being like, "Wow, what's going on here?" And I remember seeing the TV series, you know, and the whole thing with her perm and her haircut, and I'm just like, you know, that's. That's very classy. I'm sure it was a wig. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, and now Eric and Lyle Menendez. Oh. Um, also wore a wig. <laughs> yeah, he wore a toupee. Okay. Should they be in prison for the rest of their lives? No. I, no. I, I have to say, unfortunately, I wa- recently I watched the entire trial, which was several days and several hours because I had a little bit of free time. And I watched everything because I never saw it in real life and I was too young to understand what was going on. But I think in the case of... I did watch all the testimonies and I have to say any parent who does that to their children should go to hell. I'm sorry. And I don't think what they did was, you know, as a young teenager was in any way um, 
I mean, that, that's, a, that's an explicit and appropriate reaction for the amount of abuse that was going on. So I don't think they actually should go into prison their whole life. I mean, if anything, they should go to therapy. I mean, let's just get real. Okay, I don't need we to... All, yeah. Yes, exactly. I need to catch up on that trial because I'm familiar with it, but I haven't watched the testimony. But I remember there were tears on the stand recounting abuse. And, it was horrible, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it was one of the... I, I watched everything recently, and I have to say like that was one of the most intense... Um, trials I've ever seen, and I, I I cried actually. It was it was heartbreaking. Okay, now one last mm. kind of legalese hot topic we need to get to. Michael Jackson. Oh. Uh, now Amir and I have kind of our opinion. Okay, who is the superior Jackson, Michael or Janet? Is that it's really a, a qu- it, it's a rhetorical question? That's not a question. We all know the answer to this. I don't need to say anything. What is the answer? That answer was put to bed a couple of years ago. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- didn't they just make didn't the estate just make a ton of money off of the documentary that just came out? I mean, okay. she ain't doing that. Okay, uh, Amir and I were coming out. We are Janet Stans. What? Are you serious, man? Oh, yeah. oh. I-, I was. I said it's a rhetorical question because I assumed you will uh, opt for Janet. I was the superior talent, in my opinion. But I mean, I'm such a I'm such a Michael fan. I mean, I'm in love with Michael. Do we need to go through the Janet discography? Because we will <laughs> on a future episode when we do our Janet appreciation episode. I mean, let's just let's just start this episode when you when you edit it. Just started with Throb. And fade yes. it out into our conversation. And all you need to know about Janet Jackson is in Throb. Just listen to it. That's Janet for you. I mean, look, I love Janet. I think she had some great moments. You know, I love the video with Michael and, you know, all that kind of thing. I, you know, she's got great cleavage. I think she looks hot, uh, you know, but in terms of talent and dance, I mean, I'm sorry. I think Michael is just like the most god's gift to heaven she just tapped into such a great moment in sort of r&b 90s with her sprawling like 20 track cds with all the interludes Interludes. (laughs) they're so amazing i was listening to all of them the other day i mean you know i love janet but michael you know for me is my i do love scream though oh my god which bridges both their talents if only Latoya was there. <laughs> I remember Latoya late night oh TV. God. She used to give the infomercials for like these sex, like with these like sex mercers or something like that. Like one o'clock in the morning, Latoya would come on. I was like, oh my god, what's going on here? And she was just like begging for pennies at the end of the day, and she was just you know advocating for like call one in one nine hundred like sex six 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 six. Well, both both she and Joe Jackson, who was selling uh, oh, Dead God. Sea products uh, out of a cart <laughs> in a shopping mall in the tri-state oh, area. Oh, <laughs> Which of the tri-states? Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian tri-states. Uh. <laughs> um, uh, unrelated, I'm seeing the clubhouse was developed by Elon Musk. No. <laughs> F1. Yes, it's an to Elon mine Musk our thing. data oh, since they're God. recording. Yeah, maybe they're sending it to Mars. Can you imagine? Can you picture that? Uh, oh, Johan Koenig on Mars. Um, <laughs> Talking about uh, NFT. Oh, my God. Well, okay. So, um, should we start our hot topics? Yeah, or, sure. Like lightning round? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, it'll be nice because we'll get Krista's input. Um, so, according to many news sources, uh, the singer Grimes, Elon Musk's baby's mother, 
uh, sold NFT artworks for $5.2 million this week. Thoughts? I I have no comment because I was just talking to a person, a few people about this situation, which I know nothing about. So I'm not qualified. To, I don't even know what that is. So I, I have no idea about these things. I'm, I'm way in the dust. Does she need the money, though? <laughs> Obviously. I mean, are, no. that's that's a rhetorical <laughs> question. That's, that's I mean, <laughs> uh, I'll get I'll get serious for just one second. I said this to Jordan uh, earlier this week. I feel like any any given point where the only news you read about in the art world are so heavily <coughs> focused on everything else but artworks. Ugh. That's that's when it starts upsetting me. Like there's yeah. just been yeah. headline grabbing of like you know sneaker heads, people, Ugh. collectors, and every this whole discussion is about everything else but actual works of art, and it's just such a waste of my time. Sorry. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a total waste of time. And it's also very heartbreaking because it's not about that at the end of the day. I don't know why they do these like headline or these headlines, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's not, that's, it's not the main point at the end of the day. I don't know what that's about. I mean, maybe they're missing all the art fairs and they need to kind of have that, I don't know, social tension. I have no idea, but it is a waste of time. I mean, this makes perfect sense. It's kind of like the logical extension of how aggressively speculative and market driven the market has been in previous years like i guess mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say is that i'm not surprised by this development but uh it's as boring to me as you know the coverage of the uh with sotheby's insanities of the past couple of years which i still don't see how are relevant to how they're relevant to like 99.9 percent of uh, working artists you know well there there is a auction coming up Matthew Wong, Joy Labinjo, Vaughn Spann to start star in Philip's new now sale. Another. What, what are the going rates? <laughs> well, headlining the mid-season contemporary art sale is Wong's Lotus 2017, an orange and blue landscape that is estimated to reach 600,000. That's a a reasonable price. (laughs) (laughs) So some more vultures. Um, going after a unfortunately deceased artist that's all we'll say on that yeah i will just not dignify that even with an answer all right um have you guys heard about the jeff coons lawsuit uh vaguely yeah no okay jeff coons Sandra pompadou lose appeal on french fashion ad plagiarism suit Mm. wouldn't be the first time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean let's get real i will Wait, pull up a photo now mm-hmm. amir google jeff coon's lawsuit i just did the last thing that comes up is from 2018 sorry 2019 uh, go, click on images uh-huh so there was an ad which is basically a pig that, cu- that couple with the puppies no, it's it's a pig and a woman in a mesh top with huge knockers. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and a penguin, and so that's based off of a photo from a fashion ad. Do you think this lawsuit is warranted? Mm, no, but I guess wherever there's that much money involved, there ought to be a, a lawsuit <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to capitalize on it. So, like, I don't know what our opinion could. Uh, yeah could benefit this discourse but we're not lady justice and we're not blind 
Um, I do I do like the sculpture a lot. Yeah, it is cute. I would like it. See, it's like people need to start sh- start stop shitting on Jeff Koons because he is better than uh, Damien Hurst. Oh, by by far. <laughs> I also truly don't understand the sort of double standard when it comes to quote unquote uh, appropriation of you know images and all these cultural you know origin artworks like this is clearly a homage and so a lawsuit which i'm not aware of the fine details of it just seems like a way to try to take some of his money yeah yeah Yeah, there was nothing taken away from kind of that commercial use of that image before which was at a fashion ad yeah um also who had to like dig dig this up from the archives And who is still upset over this, like, after all these years? Like, this, what, this art director from a second-rate, like, French clothing magazine, like, wakes up in the morning and decides to, you know, press charges against Jeff Koons. <laughs> um, artist Kader Atia, known for his poignant investigations that break down Western hegemony, will curate the next Berlin biennial. That's according to our friend Kate Brown at uh, Artnet News. Q. You take it. Krista, I, our Bible. Uh, I guess you have not been listening to I, us. I, I, no, I, I, I... Hi, Kate. How are you? Um... I, I I can't really say too much about um, the biennial. I knew I I heard the news this morning about Kara Atia, but uh, I I don't know so much about him or his practice. But uh, congratulations! But I I yeah I don't know so much about him. I like his wooden busts. These works, um, these ones. Hmm. I mean, I'll I'll continue my line of thought that anything that brings an an introspection in the context of colonialism or Mm. uh, Germany's history is a very blessed development. Thank God for that. Yeah, Yeah, and it'll be, no matter what, better than the disbiennial. Well, I think we, all of us could agree on that. Like, you know, we don't need to say that. I think we all agree (laughs) on that because, you know, again, as Amir had said, anything that draws attention and criticism towards... Um, Germany or any country's colonial history and, you know, thinks about that, proposes that to the audience, I think is very well, is welcomed. And let me just say about the Disbiennial, I think it was tremendously successful in the sense that we're still talking about it all these years (laughs) later. (laughs) Um, True. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm just saying what everyone's thinking. <laughs> I mean, I remember I was there during the press release and it was, you know, I wasn't uh, keen on, I didn't, it was a show that I didn't have to see, let's just say, and I wasn't, um, you know, pressed to see the exhibition. But um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see the show. So I And also I feel anything. like the whole aesthetic was just so naive and trying to sort of project you into a, a dystopian future. And meanwhile, we're living a, uh, uh, philosophically or conceptually we're living a, a in a dystopian moment so to speak and so the whole sort of genre or medium has just completely lost its vitality mm. or punched like um, mm. yeah 
I think the thing is, like for me artistically, and because this was also quite a number of years ago when I was much younger and I was still in a very precarious place in my life, I could say that, you know, I did not want to engage with works of art that talked about um, fashion trends. I wanted to talk about works of art or engage with works of art that talked about precarity in people's lives that were not, you know, centered on fashion trends or things that were of a particular uh, group because, you know, there were things I think that were quite critical and were quite um, serious that were happening that were being marginalized in the art world at the time, which are now central focus. So I was fairly disappointed with how removed from reality this exhibition was because, you know, they're talking about denim and we're talking about people that don't, that are getting racially profiled, right? So what is going on there? There's a huge disconnect. So for me, artistically, I was like, what is going on here? Uh, sorry, but this is a this is not related to my reality. Yeah. What Let's about get real. what about what about being marginalized by your family and uh, and uh, norm core friends for having a <laughs> different taste in fashion <laughs> and l- living in an overpriced uh, five five uh, mm. <laughs> five flatmate uh, apartment on uh, Dime Square? That's <laughs> also that's also a hardship. Um, I will say what I really appreciate about your work, Krista, is that um, you deal with those issues, but in a very human way. Like you, Mm. in the video work especially, you're experiencing people's stories. And it's not what happens, for example, in a lot of kind of biennial artworks where those things become so abstracted and removed and cold. Mm. Where, you know, it's, it's, there's so much focus on like something being poetic and it becomes like, this pile of rubble is X, Y, and Z. Mm. And it's hard to empathize with that or mm. kind of feel that emotion. Mm. Whereas in your work, that really comes across. Yeah, you know, I know it sounds very kitschy, but I still want to, you know, have... I do think that a lot of my work is very emotional. I mean, at the same time, it's very, uh, you know, it's... It is very cerebral, and I do think that there's a lot of, you know, intellectual layers to it. You know, like you're eating something very sophisticated, but it still has that punch. It still has a lot of flavor packed into it. And I think there's so many things that um, I want the audience to experience because I think the audience should be should have access to the artwork. And it, not, it should not be for people in the art world. Of course, that's fantastic. That's great. But the artwork should be accessible for everybody. You know, as I said, I don't have a background where, you know, I went to museums or galleries as a young person because my family had a hard time paying bills. You know, we, I didn't have that background. And so, you know, I always wanted, you know, the artworks to be accessible for, like, my family because they don't understand that. They don't understand those those concepts that I'm working with. So I want the artworks to be super, super easy. You know, I want everyone to be engaging with it, people even that I don't identify with politically. I think it's important that people can access work. So, you know, I think there's a lot of emotional pull to it. I do think that a lot of my artwork tries to kind of, you know, break down walls, try to break down barriers and still try to, you know, empathize with everybody that's watching it. You know, I don't try to attack people. I think that's maybe the wrong strategy. But yeah, I do put a lot of effort into the videos in particular 
And I tried to make it, you know, very, very down to earth, very romantic, because, yeah, I mean, a lot of artworks nowadays is about being intellectual. But I still think for me, you know, the artwork starts from me and my experiences and a lot of my memories, you know, and I think everybody can relate to rejection, everybody can relate to concepts of love concepts of you know not feeling like you're good enough concepts that you know have to do with anxiety social anxiety and feeling like you don't belong those are very essential feelings that everybody relates to you know not just me not just you it's everybody feels like that so I try to kind of create like different bridges of empathy and I I do my best let's just say so yeah Mm -hmm. I feel like a, a rule of thumb for me uh, in regards to my art illiterate parents is to never make a work of art that I couldn't show them because it would either embarrass me or it would be completely impenetrable mm. and, you know, uh, opaque to them. Um, and I mean, my work, my work is abstract, but they are able to, you know, appreciate it and enjoy it, even coming from, you know, essentially a art illiteracy uh so there is hope out there like you don't have to have a you know a bachelor or a master's Mm. degree or rocket science to be able to understand or appreciate or connect or be in Mm. dialogue with someone's work of art no totally i i don't think that art should be exclusively for people with mfas or mas i mean it should be for everybody everyone's opinion and everyone's experience matters in the in the talks you know and i think it's important that there's a large variety of people and obviously studies have proven that the more diversity there is in a room when you have discussions the more you learn from each other you know that's that's for me common sense but uh, i'll just put it out there again i think it's important that the talks and the artwork should be seen and engaged by a wide variety of people that's very important i mean i think yeah. the only place this uh this thought doesn't truly apply to is to a clubhouse panel where the, the more voices there are, the less coherent oh. the conversation oh is. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But same. I, uh, I started some new paintings recently and my dad's like, there's, they're so dark and depressing. Cause there's like such a like haze, <laughs> a such a, like over painted haze on them. And I get it. It's like, uh, you know, my really bright, fun, colored paintings, my dad loves. And he's not an art person, you know? So, yeah, I I think 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 it's good. Yeah, I think the greatest advice we can give to our listeners is to have someone over uh, to your studio who's absolutely not in the business, Mm. a complete outsider who'd be able to give you a non-sycophantic sort of knee-jerk reaction response Mm. uh, feedback to the work that you make. No, I totally concur with that. That's, that's I think, super essential. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's a, it's a great goal to have for art to not just be accessible to, you know, the non-educated, but also for art to not just be created by the um, over-educated. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. All right, before we sign off, can I just share something I learned today? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the generation after Gen Z. Oh my God, or, I saw that too. I was or shocked. Zoomers, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next generation after Generation Z will be called Generation Alpha. What? I've been saying that for a while. When you know, th- they they that? reach the sort of they reach the top and then they have to go back from the start. Yeah. And like, is there going to be anything Alpha about that generation? 
who knows maybe they'll all they'll all become a uh, dom tops <laughs> in like 10 years <laughs> maybe the pendulum will swing the other way because right now gen z is on twitter being like like um i did not consent to seeing leather people at pride um that's assault <laughs> w- wait until they uh they see the piss trough at Bergheim. Oh <laughs> <laughs> or that tiled shower room at lab <laughs> oh my god I mean, krista is scrolling through michael jackson and I'm right not. now <laughs> I mean, more concerning than Generation Alpha, I find, is the generation to come after it, Generation Beta. (laughs) That's what I said this morning. I I said to Colin, I was like, God, they should just skip Alpha and go straight to Beta. Totally. We should just, we should redo the silent generation, the lost generation. Totally. Alpha will be the lost generation. Just like... (laughs) Pretend they don't exist. They are lost. Like, my nephews haven't been in, like, proper haven't been in that's school true. for like oh, a God. year basically that's a lost year mm. sad yeah <sighs> well thank you so much for uh coming on the pod today that was uh it was really lovely oh it's my pleasure yeah, I'm yeah so, thank I'm, you I'm, I'm so happy we had some someone so fun and smart <laughs> and dynamic and who's a major thoughts on art stan <laughs> thank you my pleasure and this was yes. not a, a pay uh, pay to play so if we have no. any other listeners who are stands and would like to join us in our conversations you're welcome to uh reach yes. out to us yeah if you're in new york or berlin hit us up it would be fun to yeah. have you on only if you're funny though like no wet blankets no okay. wet blankets we don't need that you know they can yeah, go back want, to bed we want you to be like the gothamist before npwnyc bought it and not like afterwards or we want you to be gawker before the hulk hogan lawsuit oh totally oh, i miss the gawker and pre wnyc gothamist oh, days when they were just so catty yeah but we're not we're just sweet and just saying what everyone thinks yeah no we're just uh we are like chris christie we tell like it is for real yeah jolly and critical yeah and my bmi is approaching chris christie's so oh my god i saw chris christie recently like oh my god what happened i love him i i appreciate a man who wears his belt on the gut and not below it yeah and uh i'm just allowed to say all this as a fatty so (laughs) <laughs> with hypertension and next in line for a COVID vaccination if I was in New York State. I know. Seriously. True. I just saw that AstraZeneca was approved for people over 65 in Germany. So Wait, what? Are, yeah, they just <laughs> uh, they just approved. Uh, so I guess things will kick into a higher gear now. Let's see. We're, we're very hopeful over here. We're not sure. Yeah, we've Fingers had crossed. it. All right. Well, thanks for the lovely conversation. Thank, Thank you, Krista. You. Thanks, Amir. Thank thanks you. So See you next week. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.